With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. That hurt. (laughs) Well... Did you ever bite your tongue in, oh, yeah. in full stride? I mean, you're you're not coming down with just the tip of your tongue. Yeah. You're coming down with all the grinners on one side and just mashing your tongue. Especially bad when you're trying to eat. Oh, that hurts even worse. Yeah, because yeah. it's hard to keep eating. It is. Yeah. You got to stop at least for, what, yeah. half an hour? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tip your mic up just a little bit there, if you would. So Zeb. Uh, tell everybody how inept you are. <laughs> For the first time, folks, in the history of doing this, I ran off without my material, but I have it memorized. You do. I know some of the stories, and we are. Go- you asked me to talk about Christmas. Yeah, I did. And so we're going to talk about up a little bit more. We're you got to there. You go. there. You about some Christmas stories that I remember, maybe some that you remember. So, well, you know, when you get to be your age, though, I really admire you that you can still find where I live. <laughs> You know, my pickup has a GPS. <laughs> I can get here, even if I was blindfolded. Okay. So I'm going to start off with a story called The Christmas Truce. The Christmas Truce. Truce. T-R-U-C-E. Yeah. Yes. Okay. World War One. So uh, it's Christmas time, the day before Christmas, and some America, three American soldiers were lost yeah. in the woods. Oh, yeah. And uh, as they're going along, they come across a cabin just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And uh, they knock on the door, and this German lady opens the door, and she has a son, and uh, about a 12-year-old son, and uh, she welcomes them in, but she says, you leave your guns at the door. Yeah. So they come in, they sit down, they start getting warmed up. Uh, the young boy is told to go get the, the rooster that they're going to cook, and they get it start getting it ready. Well, not too long after that, another knock on the door. Uh-oh. This time, it's three German soldiers. Oh, my. 
Now, these guys, remember, they'd been fighting each other, yep. you know, obviously. Yep. So the lady uh, says, well, I have some other guests in here. And she says, uh, the German says, are they American? And she says, yes, they are. But she says, you're welcome to come in, but you leave your guns at the door. And so they did. So they came in uh, pretty soon. There, uh, some of the Germans knew a little bit of English. They were talking back and forth. One of the American boys had been injured. He'd I been see. wounded. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the Germans happened to be a doctor. Uh-huh. And so the German doctor helped care for the American soldiers' wounds. And that evening they spent together. Uh, they had the, the roast turkey or the roast chicken, whatever that it was. That was the old rooster. The old rooster. Yeah. And uh, spent the night warm and comfortable in that house. Uh, the next morning, they uh, started to part ways. And the German soldiers told the Americans, they said, now, to avoid uh, the, the German soldiers, the, he gave them directions. He said, now, you, you know, you go this direction and you'll get to your uh, front lines. Uh-huh. So that's. That's always a story that's always kind of touched my heart. That story is not just a story. It's true. It is. It's absolutely a true story. story. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, well, before that, let me back up. There's been another truce years ago in World War I where on Christmas Day, the soldiers from both sides came out of their trenches, got together. They exchanged uh, maybe buttons or some little trinket between the two of them. They uh, actually found some kind of a ball where they could play soccer. They Really? Yeah. And that also happened, and that's a true story. Unfortunately, after that, uh, the officers on both sides for the next year prohibited any kind of a truce on Christmas Day. Really? They didn't want them fraternizing with each other. So, true stories... Isn't uh, it a shame that man's inhumane attitude towards man exacerbates more hurting of yeah, man? Yeah. So, I want to tell another story. This is, uh, without his notes, too. Without my notes. Uh, so, this happened uh, to my father. Oh, Okay, my grandfather and my uh, my dad and my dad's four older brothers, three other brothers and a younger sister. They were up in Montana, up near the Canadian border where it gets cold up near Harlem, Montana and Haver and Chinook in that area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been up in that area. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it, the winters you, are. You're not correct when it gets cold. It gets freezing. freezing yeah, freezing cold. <laughs> I mean, Dad talks about my grandma putting a hot water bottle in their bed and, and it yeah. would be frozen the next morning. Yeah. Well, at this particular Christmas time, um, everybody was getting sick. My my dad, his brothers, and they had a little sister that was about four years old that got sick. She got pneumonia, and she was really, really the worst of the bunch. So my grandma and grandpa jumped in their car, and they headed towards Harlem, Montana. Mm. Well, about halfway there, the car broke down. And, you know, back then, if a car was stopped alongside the road, the next car coming along would always stop to see if they needed help. Absolutely. So the next car came along, and my grandpa and the little girl named Venice, they jumped in the car and went on into Harlem, Montana. Mm -hmm. The next car that came along picked up my grandma and took her in. By the time they got there, the little girl had passed away. Oh, no. 
So, like I said, everybody was sick in bed. They couldn't. My grandpa was sick. They were all. And there was a good doctor from uh, the town that came out uh, to check on them. And they were in quarantine. And the doctor asked my grandma, she says, you know, do you have a Christmas tree? And she said, well, there's one out in the barn, but, you know, we're we're all too sick to, to, to do anything. So this good doctor went out in the barn, brought the Christmas tree in, set it up, and helped decorate it for, so that my dad and his brothers and my grandma and grandpa could have somewhat of Christmas considering the death of their little sister. Oh, my goodness. You know, and that's a true You're story that, tears to my that I, I, am, I wish I knew who that good doctor was. And, you know, the, the Christ-like attitude of a doctor like that to spend time away from his family— yep. To go see some sick people and then to take extra time to decorate a tree. Yeah. I got a, may I share a story sure. about a tree? Uh, this one just breaks my heart thinking about it. Well, not break my heart. It actually makes me feel really, really good because I was a part of it. I wasn't the ringleader, but uh, when I was in college, about uh, four or five houses down the street, and I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, going to school, our fraternity house, and there was a family, uh, elderly couple, and they didn't have anything. I mean, literally, I don't know how they even managed to keep a roof over their house. And uh, one of our uh, guys in the house uh, brought it up that we should go get a tree all decorated and presents and uh, wait till Christmas Eve. We, we weren't going home that Christmas. We were staying there. And we got uh, a few presents we put together. You know, college guys, they don't have much money. You know that. Yes. And we put together the tree, got it all decorated. It wasn't a big tree, but it took two guys, one on each side to carry the stand and everything and the gifts. And we went up and knocked on their door at six o'clock sharp on Christmas Eve, walked in. They didn't know us from Adam's off ox, put the tree in their living room and the presents and walked out. Those two people, they were so their jaws hung down. They couldn't say a word. And I've never in my life enjoyed a Christmas more. You know, you know, we always say it's a time of giving, and yeah, it really is. It is. You know, and the joy of, uh, of giving, especially to someone who's less fortunate or yeah. really down and out, yeah. you know. So, but, you know, if you think about the Western Christmas in the Old West. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they would start even months ahead of time. The boys would whittle little dolls or or little trucks or little uh, or a horse. They would whittle whatever they could. The girls would start uh, knitting like mittens, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, gloves, uh, scarves, things like that. Uh, the women would start preparing uh, food like the puddings and the uh, the breads and and all that. Um, there's a you know where Kelton, Utah is. Mm-hmm. So there's a story that takes place over there at the City of Rock stage station. There's a guy by the name of Charles Walgamoth that was living there. He was a teenage boy at the time. And he talks about a Christmas where uh, just exactly what I'm describing. Things had been prepared ahead of time, but they still had a stagecoach to run from uh, City of Rocks over to Oakley. Right. And because of the snow, what they would do is they had a sleigh, not a stagecoach. 
So they packed the packages, the people, the passengers, and they would go about halfway to Oakley, and then the snow usually ran out, and they would meet the stage coming from Oakley towards them. Really? And then they would exchange passengers and the packages and the mail and one thing or another, yeah. and then turn around and head back towards the City of Rock Stage Station. Well, he says that as they were going along, the snow was pretty deep, and they kind of got off the road. The sleigh tipped over, threw everybody out of the sleigh, but keep in mind it was soft snow. They were all bundled up in buffalo robes and blankets, and actually they had a good time. They managed to get the sleigh back up on the road. The passengers back in the sleigh, covered with the blankets, and made it into the City of Rock Stage Station really? that evening. And again, the food and going into a nice warm cabin, you know. And of course, the next day, usually uh, a lot of the families would uh, uh, go to church, then come back and have their Christmas dinner. But if you think about the mountain men, the trappers, and the people that were out by themselves, you know, they're they may not even known it was Christmas. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they're out there by themselves. And, uh, you know, to be by yourself at Christmas time. And I think of our, uh, our servicemen oh, yeah. uh, that are out there by themselves even now, uh, not with their families. Yep. And uh, the bit of loneliness that, that comes from being by yourself. You know, there's so many stories about Christmas, and uh, I think you just touched on a very important issue with Christmas, and that's being alone. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more hollow or shallow in your feelings than you know you're going to be by yourself. And I remember my first Christmas in Idaho when I moved here in 1969, and I was living in a little bitty apartment. And about two days before Christmas Eve, a box arrived, and it was from my mother. And you're looking at it right there. There's no right here. You're looking at the original tree tree. that now I think that old tree, uh, we put it back in a box every year and put it up in the attic. Let's see, 69 to now, that's what, uh, over 50 some odd years. And I'll never, ever get rid of that old tree. Well, so let me tell you about a gift that I got for Christmas. Uh, I got a BB gun. Oh, no. For Christmas. You're not going to be like the Christmas story and shoot yourself in the eye. <laughs> well, almost as bad. Oh, dear. So that about six months later, it was summertime, and uh, I was about, what, eight years old or so, and uh, Annie Oakley came on the TV. Oh, yeah. And, you know, she always was standing up on the horse, yep. riding at full speed, yep. and she would shoot the target. Yep. Well, I had forgotten that I had accidentally cocked the gun. Oh, I I don't like the the way this story's going. I took aim, and I got that target right square in the middle of the TV. (laughs) And so there was a little dimple, you know. like A little dimple. A little dimple, you know. Yeah. And, uh, of course, my folks didn't have much money. We couldn't go buy a new TV. So for several years after that... uh, Everybody on TV had a little dimple in their forehead. I have to be really honest with you. If you'd have been my kid, you wouldn't have sat down for three months. I won't tell you the results of that little escapade, <laughs> but I, I, I never did it again. Did you get your BB gun back? Uh, after a while. When you were like a senior in high school? <laughs> yeah, when, yeah, after a while, I finally got it Oh, back. Ken, how could you be that dumb? Uh, well, <laughs> I was eight years old. <laughs> So let me tell you another Christmas. Okay. Uh, So I was in England, my first Christmas away from home. 
there was a lady that we were visiting with, and she was the lead singer in the Church of England choir. Oh, my. And she was going to sing on Christmas Eve with the choir, and she invited us to go sing with her. And I... Okay, so we showed up at the Church of England, and we dressed in these robes, these black robes, and we the, the neatest thing, Zeb, was we went to the hospital. This was on an army base, an English army base. We went to the hospital that was on the army base, and we went from room to room caroling oh, to these people. Oh, nice. And there was a lady that we'd also met that was in there. She was going to have a baby, and... and when she saw us and all of us singing, she the tears in her eyes, because here she was Christmas Eve uh, in the hospital, you know, yeah. not with her family. So that was a, kind of a special Christmas for me. You know, there's so many memories that you're jogging in my mind right now that uh, Christmas has passed when I lived back in Wisconsin and and then going to college up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, et cetera, and then coming out here and uh, meeting my lovely bride and our first Christmas together. I mean, there's a lot of really, really good Christmas memories. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Christ for a yes, minute. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, folks, I know you're all familiar with the story. You know, uh, Joseph and Mary were on their way uh, to Bethlehem uh, because... Uh, they were supposed to be taxed, but really it was a census. Yeah. That's really what the Roman government wanted was a census of all the people. So if you can imagine riding for days, you know, on a, on a, on a donkey, uh, you know, you'd stop each night and prepare their food. And here she was, you know, nearly ready, ready to deliver. And, you know, there were other people in the caravan and probably dogs and, and little kids running around. And when they did get to Bethlehem, you know, uh, the the inn, so to speak, was really more of a rectangular area, and in the middle is where the animals stayed. Yep, that's right. And so the people could sit in their uh, little shelter, I guess, and they could watch their animals, make sure. And when you read the scriptures, uh, you know it almost gives you the impression that the innkeepers were saying were maybe mean, like no, you can't stay here. But in all probability, they were very kind, very nice. You know, they and, and probably said, you know, we don't have anything, but here you can come and stay here, and this will be comfortable. You'll be warm, and so I picture those innkeepers as being very generous, very compassionate. Uh, as they helped Mary and Joseph to settle in for that that very first Christmas, and of course, you know the the story goes on, you know about the wise men and the shepherds, and um, you know I love the can Christmas you can music. you imagine if the shepherds of sheep would have been cowboys with cattle. And can you imagine three cowboys getting together, watching their stock and looking at that star saying, forget the cows, we're going to follow the star. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I just picture that peaceful, oh, yeah. peaceful night. Absolutely. You know, and Zeb, I, you know, uh, Angie and I, my wife and I, were able to go to the Holy Land this past year. You were blessed before all this turmoil. Yeah. And to actually uh, walk... Oh, where my. the Savior walked yeah. to be out on the Dead Sea, or the uh, the the Sea of Galilee, right. in a boat, right. and to think about what transpired there with the calming of the seas yep. and yep. and uh, Jesus and Peter walking on the water, and then to go into Bethlehem itself, oh. and to be there and think this is where 
This is where it took place. Well, Pastor Alex was supposed to go this past fall. I think he was supposed to, along with Barbara, go to uh, that area the 1st of November. And then, of course, all heck broke loose over right. there, and they yeah. couldn't go. But your experiences and the way you've related them on this program and everything, I envy you. Well, it was uh, something we wanted to do for many, many years, and uh, it just worked out. We were able to go at the right time, the right place, yeah. with the right people. And again, to how much I've only got a minute left. I want to ask this. How much of that biblical history really can be related to people today with what's there? I mean, has it all been modernized or no? Give us the thought on that quickly. Uh, There's a synagogue called the uh, Magdala. And it's uh, by the town where Mary Magdalene was born. And they uncovered this here just a few years back when they were going to build a hotel. And they found this synagogue. Oh, my. And our guide said there's A, AA, and AAA sites. This was a AAA site. This would have been one of the first synagogues that Jesus would have come to when he comes out of Nazareth down to teach the people around Galilee. So he says this is more than likely 99% a place where Jesus actually preached in this synagogue. So this synagogue, quick, oh, I wish we had more time. Uh, this synagogue had gone under the sand and the wa- weather, et cetera, had right. covered it up. Right. So you just barely saw like some of the walls that were maybe three or four feet high. Oh, my. So, but the, the, the floor, everything was as oh it was my, at his my. time. And are they still excavating that? Uh, they're still, yeah, gently looking and, and they're always looking for new things. But wow. That, that was amazing. To me, that was, uh, and, and the Sea of Galilee were two of the most special places that we went. I'm almost tempted to do this again real soon. I mean, I really enjoy hearing that type of thing. But you say a lot of it has been preserved. Yes. Uh, I mean, the Temple Mount, uh, you know, the the uh, tomb, they, they're they pretty much positive the, the garden tomb is wow. the tomb where the Savior lay before he was resurrected. What about the uh, road and the pathway up to Golgotha? I mean, uh, do you follow that? Yes, there's, there's a path, and I'm pretty, I, I won't say I'm 100% sure that's the path that he, where he carried the cross, but there's other places that they're almost absolutely certain that things took place. I see. So. Well, without notes, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. You're a dear friend, and I want to extend to you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Well, and to you, Zeb, you've been a great friend for many years. We've done this a lot. Thank and you. I appreciate your friendship, and a Merry Christmas to you and your family. I'll tell you what, Dr. History, it doesn't get any better than him, I'll tell you.